one of my favorite things about the old Future of Coding podcast back when Steve was hosting it was the research reflection episodes where Steve would just talk about what he was thinking about the future of coding and reflect on his own work and sort of daydream about what he might work on in the future. And I don't know that he would call it daydreaming, but listening to it, it sounded sort of like daydreaming to me. And those those were always my favorite episodes. Like I liked listening to the interviews, but they always felt a little bit too, I don't know if formal is the right word, but they felt sort of contrived in a way where the research reflections were just sort of free-flowing. They were interesting to listen to for an entirely different reason. And since I've taken over, I haven't really felt comfortable making those kind of episodes because to me, you know, I've, I've got this very strongly ingrained sense of, um, of wanting to value the listener's attention and not wanting to seem like I'm being too self-promotional or uh, navel-gazy or indulgent. It's been tough for me to reconcile those two things, that as a listener, those were my favorite. And as an author of podcasts, I don't feel like it would be appropriate for me to do them. So what I've decided to do instead is I'm going to start a new podcast where I just talk about my own work, my own research, my own projects. I hope that it will be interesting for me to do because it will give me a space to reflect on what I'm working on and uh, sort of encode some of my thoughts. And if not, you know, force those thoughts out of abstractness into concretion by having to give them voice. Um, and I know a lot of people do this with a blog or they'll do it on Twitter or uh, sometimes YouTube videos. And for me, those media are things that I've played with, but none of them have really worked out. I love podcasts. That's probably my favorite a medium for communication currently in all of the, you know, the different choices that are out there, uh, especially as a listener. I think the podcast format works incredibly well. It has that ability to be paused and resumed whenever you have a moment to listen. It, it's very intimate and personal, and you get a really strong sense of the character of the people you're listening to. Uh, and it's a very flexible medium. You can have all sorts of different shows. It has sort of the best of radio, but without the, uh, the liveness and uh, impermanence of it. And so I'm very interested to try using a podcast as a way of articulating my thinking, of just getting my research and design thoughts out there uh, to help me reflect on them. And I feel like if I'm able to do this in a way that's similar to how Steve did it when he was creating the Future of Coding podcast and, and doing his research reflections, I think it will be interesting to listen to as well. So that's why I'm, I'm starting this podcast. And what I am going to talk about probably in exhaustive detail for however many episodes it takes to get all of these thoughts out there are my plans for my visual programming tool called HEST. And so I'm going to spend a little bit to explain what HEST is, assuming that you've never seen it before. And if you're listening to this, that means you're aware of me on the internet in some way or another. And so you're probably familiar with HEST, but I'm just going to pretend that you aren't and, and that we're starting from absolutely a, a blank page. So HEST is a visual programming tool. It is a very, very graphical. I'm, I'm 
reluctant to call it a visual programming tool or a visual programming language, just because those the, the existing instances of those kind of tools, they to me, they're not actually very visual. To me, they are a very, very slight delta from textual programming as we know it in most cases. So I'm thinking of things like Max MSP or VVVV or even some of the more recent entries like uh, nodes or cables, uh, Unreal's blueprints. There's a lot of these sort of node and wire visual programming tools. And then there's also your block languages like Scratch. And there are some more more fringy kind of things like the programming in the, the video game Dreams by Media Molecule. Video games often have a lot of sort of programming in them. And because games are very visual, the programming is very visual. And a lot of those examples are more spatially oriented than text languages, but they aren't artistically oriented. And I think that that's that's a very important distinction. And I'm going to get into what I mean by that. It matters because when you're moving away from text you're doing it, or at least you should be doing it. And the, the reason I want to build Hest is to get some new abilities as a programmer that you can't have just from working with text. And I feel like most of these visual tools, these node and wire tools, these block tools, they're just ways of making the experience of working with text less fraught. Um, maybe it's easier for beginners to use Scratch because they can't make syntax errors. You know, there's there's all of the structural and projectional editing environments that are very much about that, perhaps with a little bit of extra feedback thrown in. And the node and wire tools, they let you have a little bit more flexibility in how you organize your space um, because you're not constrained to the the typographic grid. You're sort of in free space and you can move things around. And they give you wires to connect the different nodes in your program, and they give you some amount of nesting, and that sort of lets you work with information hiding and and uh, encapsulation and that sort of thing in slightly different ways. They feel a little bit different to use than coding in text, and that might make them more approachable to people who don't conventionally consider themselves programmers. But what they're not doing is they're not taking much advantage of the fact that when you're moving into the realm of visuals, when you're moving into the realm of art and graphics, you have a lot of new kinds of communication that are available to you and a lot of new kinds of ways of expressing yourself. It's beyond just the ability to put things in free space or the ability to do a little bit of hiding and showing or the ability to annotate what your code is with uh, little symbols or graphics or lines or colors or that sort of thing. There's, there's more to it than that. And so that's why I'm reluctant to use the term visual programming to describe Hest because Hest starts in an entirely different place. Hest starts with the idea that um, a, a proper graphical artistic programming environment needs to have the full range of expression that you would get from other art tools that you would get from a vector editor like illustrator that you would get from you know a painting program or a 3d modeling or animation program that you are not just working in space but that you have very precise control over what 
it means to work in space over what are the relationships between the elements that you situate in space. And for example, in 3D animation, a huge part of working in those sorts of tools is building a mesh, you know, a static mesh, an unmoving mesh that looks like some sort of physical object, that you're recreating this physical object very exactly. And in order to do that, you need to be precisely sure that every vertex, every face that you're working with is positioned in a way that you have control over. And it needs to, the, the environment, that the tool you're using needs to give you tools that make it very fast and fluid and fun to position thousands or you know tens of thousands of vertices and faces in exact relation to one another and so i think that that right there that difference that when you're working with a a an art tool you're working on hugely complicated spatial data sets but you're working on them with very exact control over the result that sort of puts the lie to the idea that existing node and wire visual programming tools are sufficiently expressive because one of the big complaints that people have about them is that you wouldn't want to have to do visual programming in the large because it's so finicky. Like one of the things that people say they don't want to do when they work with a node and wire tool is they don't want to have to do the tedium of using the mouse to manually hook up every node to every other node. And that of course, you know, that would be tedious and people don't want to do that. And that's why when you're working in a 3D modeling tool, you don't have to go through the tedium of connecting every vertex to every other vertex with an edge. That's absurd. Nobody works that way. 3D animation tools have very, very long ago, back in the 1980s, if not much earlier than that, depending on what work of Ivan Sutherland you're familiar with, have figured out that it is not tenable to work in that way and that you need tools that let you work on individual things and on aggregates at all sorts of different levels and from all sorts of different perspectives and to be able to jump back and forth between different perspectives and different levels of abstraction immediately and seamlessly and not get lost and not be confused and to have total control over it in ways that are so okay we are in a podcast I am hosting the podcast. I am Ivan. Um, nice to meet you. Uh, I'm going to uh, begin to insert little bits of my personality into this show. So uh, buckle up. Um, <laughs> there's a band that I like. They got big in the 2000s. They're called Dirty Projectors. And on one of their albums called The Getty Address, I think that's the name of the album, they have a lyric that goes, I will truck faster than the world revolves. I will jet spirals round the leaves as they fall. And that to me is a lyric that perfectly encapsulates the feeling of working with a very powerful 3D animation tool is you are literally jetting spirals around the leaves as they fall. You have so much capability and so much power and so much precision that you are able to dance this ballet in midair like some sort of anime hero flying up into the air to do some very complex battle maneuver in order to slice your opponent into 15 exactly shaped pieces. That's the feeling of working with a very powerful 3D animation tool. And so any node and wire visual programming environment that I've seen where it feels clumsy and finicky to have to manually connect every node to every other node, or even the tools that 
go one further than that and allow you to insert a new node on an edge between two existing nodes or that allow you to drag a node onto an edge and have it snap into place. None of that is good enough. That's not even good enough for how 3D animation was done you know, 40 years ago. It's certainly not good enough by today's standards in terms of creating an interface where you can program in a visual way that feels fluid and empowering and expressive. So that's the starting point that I have for Hest is I'm, I'm looking at these graphic tools that are like Illustrator, 3D Studio Max, Moto, Maya, editing programs like Ableton Live for music or Logic also give you great control over lots of individual pieces of data at all sorts of different levels of aggregation. And you have to have exact control and it has to feel fast and fluid and you have to be able to jump up and down the ladder of abstraction in a moment's notice, and none of the visual programming tools do that. That's why I don't want to call Hest a visual programming tool. That's why I think that the term I'm probably going to go with in this podcast and elsewhere is a graphical programming tool. So if I say that, if I say graphical programming, I mean you are doing programming, but you're doing it with tools that give you artistic expressiveness, where by artistic I mean you're manipulating a lot of things very precisely in a way that is so fluid that you can enter a flow state and you don't feel like you're fighting the computer or fighting the mouse. It's not finicky. It's, it's very smooth and immersive. <laughs> 